Hi guys, welcome back to 120 Hertz with myself, Dom, and Ben, who's my co-host joining us again today, as always. Hi guys, welcome back. Uh, this podcast is designed for a deeper dive into all the latest tech news stories and headlines. Just before we begin, if you enjoy podcasts like this and want to hear more in the future, make sure you hit that follow button wherever you're listening to your podcast and you can get notified as soon as I release a brand new podcast episode. And of course, the content doesn't just stop on the channel and the podcast. You can follow me on social media at DomTalksTech on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you guys so much, and I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Today we're joined by Amy and Giles from Avoca, and I'll just let them introduce themselves and just give us a brief overview of, of both of you guys, if you can. Yeah, so my name's Amy, as Dawn mentioned. <laughs> um, so I'm a legal engineer here at Avoca. I did my law degree at Bristol, graduated in 2019, and became really interested in um, the regulatory aspect of legal tech. So how do we regulate AI? And I realized I didn't know very much about tech. And so I decided to do a um, computer science conversion program at Bristol, which I finished this past September. Um, and so that was really learning how to code from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Decided I didn't want to be a solicitor anymore. Um, and I was really just interested in heading down the legal tech career route, which really isn't a defined route. Um, and then applied for Avaka. So now my role is kind of going between the developers and our clients and figuring out what they want, how to make the product actually work for their needs. Um, and yeah, working on integrations with other tech tools as well. So it's kind of right in the middle between law and computer science. So I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, that's good. That's super interesting. No, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Um, yeah, I get, and I'll, I'll jump in here as well. So, um, yeah, my name's Giles. I'm head of growth at Avoca. Uh, work really closely with Amy on, on lots of stuff. Um, you know, my, my journey into legal tech and where I am, um, I think it all stems from the fact I'm curious and impatient. Um, so when I was growing up, um, my first job was driving a, a tractor. Uh, I grew up on a farm, so you know, although there's actually lots of technology in, in tracks and things, I didn't really have like any kind of tech background and, and I didn't have anyone in my family who was a lawyer nor, nor a techie. Um, but, you know, always really curious about it. Honestly, for me, the moment um, was the, when the iPhone came out. That sort of changed, changed things for me. I know it's really cliche, um, but seeing that, I thought, okay, well, these guys, these guys are going to be the new, they're, they're going to be the people I want to be like, um, people who do that kind of thing. But then I, you know, realized I was pretty rubbish at maths and thought, actually, I probably need to focus on my writing skills. That's the only way I'm going to get in the room with people who are genius enough to put this sort of thing together. Didn't really know about enterprise software at this point. I only really knew about, you know, apps and consumer software. Anyway, went to do politics at at uni because it's the course I knew I could get into a decent uni Mm -hmm. doing. uh, And uh, that's really, and I kept my options open. A friend of mine basically dragged me to a law um, uh, event um, that was being run by Linklaces, actually. Um, then I saw, I saw what they were doing um, and I thought, well, it sounds great. Basically a scholarship to learn more um, at, you know, and get, get paid quite well, basically. Um, and, you know, fantastic to learn in your 20s and, and have someone else foot the bill. Um, but one of the other things, you know, more seriously was they, they, have a fa- they had a fantastic practice where I could do... I could work on data breaches uh, and the legal aspects of that. I could work on licensing intellectual property. And um, so, you know, uh, branding and stuff, but also patent litigation as well. Um, so you're really right at the cutting edge of what's new and arguing over what is original and what isn't original. Um, uh, yeah, and what else? I mean, big, big, bigger tech transactions and things, um, you know, for, for, for major like telecoms companies and that kind of thing. So that was really fun. I actually went on BP on secondment and did... Um, some stuff to do with ChargeMaster, their EV, um, you know, charging, um, you know, subsidiary. Um, and at, at least when I was there with the biggest, you know, supplier of um, those, those on the roadside any, uh, anywhere in the UK. Um, and then getting into legal tech, well, I basically, this is where the sort of curiosity and boredom comes in. I basically, you know, I'd satisfied my curiosity about the law and thought, well, actually, um, I'm unsatisfied with um, doing things how the way they are. Um, kept trying to innovate um, and then it got basically got to the point where I realized I have to go do this with technology and I have to do this elsewhere. So mm-hmm. long story short, managed to get myself into technology, uh, but really very much by the long route. Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Giles, for that. I think that's, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, though. It's, um, 
I don't know whether Amy said, but I'm doing my dissertation on on legal tax. So, um, and I think it's you're absolutely right. There's so traditional ways of doing things in in law firms and and as like regimented as we do this this way. Um, whereas the tech is is there to help do it easier. You've got things like blockchain and um, various things which could speed up processes, which just take take up so much time. Um, and yeah, I think that's where where legal tech does become more exciting and it is just kind of it is thrilling to think well hopefully in 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 15 20 years time maybe we could be in a position where there's there's you know legal tech is way more implemented in firms than than where we are now dom try try two or three years well two or, well hope yeah hopefully two or three years <laughs> yeah i'm being very tongue-in-cheek that's that's uh, that's what we're aiming for but um amy will tell you it's not straightforward is it <laughs> No, I, I really hope so. I think that's, the, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's just, uh, yeah, it is the, uh, I, I hope it's two or three years and I hope that is the, the momentum that has picked up in the last couple of years with legal tech. Uh, so is yeah, a bit more forward, about Avoca but, um, and, and the company yeah, that you work yeah, for. Let's, we'll, um, let's just see. Hopefully. What, what kind of things do you, yeah. do you get involved in day to day? Kind of what's your uh, life at work like and what products and services do you kind of offer to, to firms and yeah, I'm happy to to start with a description of Avaca. I'm sure Giles has more uh, a better one than I do. But we're a end-to-end um, document automation tool. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know who are listening, document automation is as simple as you know taking repetitive values or um, pieces of text. So something like a contract name, an employee name, and an employment contract. And instead of you know having to go through a document and control effing and finding replacing. The employee name a hundred times over. You have one question in a questionnaire, and then we pull that data from the questionnaire into the document one time. Um, and so we kind of take it a step further. You can also do conditions on Avaca. So that's, you know, if something, if you answer yes to a certain question, we'll include a certain clause, stuff like that. So you can make it more and more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Avaca takes it a step further than other tools. And you can actually collaborate and negotiate on our platform as well. So we're basically the Google Docs for lawyers. Um, so they can add their colleagues, you know, send the document to a counterparty. The counterparty logs on and they can add comments, track changes, all of that um, without having to email documents back and forth. And at the end of all of that, um, once you've signed the document, which you can do on the platform as well, um, you can also use our analytics feature so we can see, you know, how often a clause has been negotiated or how many times someone's answered a certain way in a questionnaire. Um, Little bits and pieces like that. I don't know, Giles, if you have anything else. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I I think in terms of the tech, the techie aspects of it, you've nailed all the points there. I I guess I'll take a step back as well. And just, you know, I know that the listeners is, uh, you know, going to be, you know, relatively junior professionals and and students. So I'll just ground it in kind of their, their reality of it as well. So, I guess, you know, what we would do is, you know, when you sign a, a tenancy agreement or something at the moment, I, I, I'd say in a lot of places, it's, it is actually sort of automated uh, as such, because, you know, there's no variability in the agreement. There's, you know, it is what it is. And I mean, I don't know if, uh, of any students who ever negotiate those things. Yeah, yeah. So it's desperate to move in. Yeah. Um, but what you can, you know, you can execute it using DocuSign or something. And, and basically what we do is, you know, where it's a document that, you know, you might be able to get rid of that odd clause about the chimney or, uh, you know, having to or get a chimney sweep every year or something. You know, if you have, if you were negotiating it, uh, it would basically be a, a you know, clause where you, you have that negotiation and then, you know, the real estate agent goes away, fills out a questionnaire that has been set up by someone else. And then it, it, it spits out the first draft of the agreement. Yeah. Um, and then so you and then you negotiate it with them online in our platform. Um, and then the, I guess the other contract that people have come across is an employment agreement. Now, you know, you may have actually have been in a position to negotiate that if you're particularly, um, you know, particularly strong-willed. Um, and that may have some variability in it. So, for example, like a probation clause, um, you know, the, the day of the day of, that it's becoming effective. I don't know whether you get a company car, um, all, all this kind of thing. So, you know, it's basically allowing someone to go in and create that contract just by answering questions mm-hmm. rather than... Um, yeah, rather than having to sort of do it from scratch and delete square brackets, which um, I don't know if you've, you've done legal work experience, but that's can be quite tedious and also, you know, easy to make mistakes too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and 
you know, quite rightly, you you then need more people to check over it. Whereas, of course, if you've got something like 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 a Voca, you've you've got all that, which just happens in an automated way and um, speeds up the entire process. I think both of us don't. We, we, we both have placement. And um, one of the things I know I specifically do is, like you said, we get a, a document from mm-hmm. a partner and it's, can you go away? Here's this case file. Yeah. And go and fill in all these random square brackets. And a lot of the time it's like, I have zero clue. It takes me an hour and a half to fill out one form. Yeah. <laughs> when when uh, products like Avocado that you guys have would make that so much easier. And I think one of the things that, I'll come back to you, Giles, what you said is um, you described yourself as um, impatient in this aspect is efficiency. Legal tech just makes things a lot more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Avoca is it's clearly is what, what you guys want to do. You, you're innovating to make legal jobs a lot more efficient, a lot easier. Um, obviously, you need them firms to do that. But I, I I know it's definitely things like this would definitely help me even just on placement would, would definitely give me a better experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've said this before, um, but I think a lot of people in legal tech have had that, like this could be done better moment. Mm-hmm. And I did legal experience as well, where I was, you know, I was creating a will for someone and it was just control effing finding replacing my way through a document and I was like surely there's a tool that can do this yeah um, and that's half the reason that I did stumble across legal tech because I was like oh wait there are tools people are just not using them yeah um, so it's really interesting to hear yeah, I think I think the other thing as well I'd add to that is there's a really interesting point and a debate around training as well um, because Ben if I'm gonna be the the um, you know fictional obviously, uh, archaic uh, partner, you know, uh, at a lot of them, I'd say, well, you know, you, you need to delete those square brackets and you need to know what's going on in order to learn. You know, the reason you were taking so long is because you didn't know what you were doing. Um, and, you know, there's an element of that, which is true, right? Uh, I'm being a bit facetious. Uh, there's an element that's true, but actually I think another thing that's interesting is it also, by automating some of the more boring stuff, so for example, deleting square brackets around the names of the parties to the agreement, mm-hmm. means that you can focus on the stuff which is harder to understand, um, and then you know the custom drafting and stuff, and you can get to do that. You might be doing that on placement rather than the deleting the square brackets. Um, and and actually, you know, if you were asked on placement to take a st- that that agreement that you were working on um, and then automate it, so if you were being told put it in the system and figure out what the conditions are and what the placeholders are. I, I think, and I would advocate that that's, that would have been amazing experience for you and you would have had to have understood every, every bit of that agreement. Um, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what you think. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think, um, like I said, it, sort of form filling out is very much quite tedious. Um, and I will argue, I mean, obviously it has to be done. Trainees, are, that's what they're there for. They're to do those sort of boring, mundane jobs. Um, but efficiency would get those boring and mundane jobs done a lot quicker. So then you have a lot more time to then spend on uh, developing yourself as a professional and learning and then sort of being more uh, productive for that partner. That partner should then see you as more of a a tool to use rather than I'm just going to bin this mundane job off because I don't want to do it and it's just form filling. Whereas an application could do it a lot quicker, I, I feel. Um, and then you can spend your time developing yourself or helping a partner or, uh, you know, it, it, it just, an inv- it's investments, I think, that would then help. And I think that's what Avoca really clearly are doing and, and your products clearly are doing. Um, I think, Dom, Dom, do you agree with that? That would help you on what you do at the moment with legal experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that it goes back to kind of a root uh, thing of legal tech where you say, actually, it's not just technology taking over uh law firms and and just you know fully taken over and a solicitor doesn't become a second class service it's very much technology working hand in hand with the lawyer um as you said giles that you know you do need that experience to know where to fill out these clauses and stuff but using technology to fill out those bits that that shouldn't take the time but do um allow you to focus more time on the law side of it and the more complex issues which actually is is the reason a lot of us go into the law because we are interested in those bits and they're the bits that we want to get our, our teeth round really um, rather than those, those, those little bits that just have to be done but could be done in a more efficient way. 
Well, I, who's going to start arguing with, with 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 one another? I want you know, I want to debate. This is too, there's too much consensus here. Don. I, 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 I was gonna, I was gonna say, just to play devil's advocate, uh, how how do you think we get over the fact that um, firms are are reluctant to adopt this technology, and in particular, um, the idea of the billable hour, and how that is a huge hurdle, perhaps in getting technology fully implemented in in law firms. Do you want this hospital pass or, 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 sh- or should I take it, Amy, up to you? I think that's one that you might be more uh, qualified <laughs> to start with, for sure. <laughs> I, I, and I think the, the point around uh, fees is a really interesting one. Um, one. One thing I would say is, the, particularly with the pandemic and the increase in remote working, one of the trends I'm spotting uh, is, you know, if you look outside of the major, you know, well, huge international law firms, you know, of the kind that I, tra- I trained at, the model, the model is changing, mm-hmm. uh, and and customers are demanding, you know, subscription models, you know, monthly subscriptions to lawyers and, and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, just just like you do for Spotify, which is amazing to me. Um, so I think that there there is going to be a change to that model. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not the question you asked me, but I think that that's it's not a given anymore. Um, yeah. But I think in in the near term, I, I don't see that there's going to be much change to the model uh, for big city firms. I would say that they're already there's a number of their divisions within big private practice firms that have fixed fee arrangements anyway. So finance is one that I would point to there um, as an example. Um, and, and at that point, there is there is no conflict between efficiency um, and, uh, you know, I, I suppose you know, uh, making money. Um, but actually, I would also make the argument, and, and I think that most people realise this, um, actually, if you're doing it sort of twice the number of matters, um, you know, and you're, and you're doing just the high quality work from those matters and, you know, you're, you're, meant to, you're able to charge sort of 60% of what you're normally charging for a matter, mm-hmm. you know, the, ma- the mass can quite quickly work, work out. And actually there's other, there's, a, there's loads of other factors to consider. So for example, you know, one of the things I was shocked at when I got in practice was how much time I spent as a trainee doing stuff, mm-hmm. which then ultimately got written off. And, you know, clients quite rightly don't want to pay for deleting square brackets or, or stuff which they view as clerical or administrative um, because they're paying for legal, um, you know, legal advice. So actually the, the idea of, you know, the, the juniors getting sort of turbocharged to the point where they're actually delivering sort of quite, you know, material um, and, and, and detailed legal advice is really good because there's less write-off. So if you think you've got you know, however, you know, let's just say for a second, 12 hours a day for a trainee at an intensity firm, you know, if you're writing off four hours of admin, that's no, that's not good. That's no good to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some arguments we make around that, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that the model, the model will shift. Um, but actually there's already some pretty good isolated use cases where it, where it makes sense. And actually I think the other thing is clients are also implementing some of these technologies themselves too. Um, so they're well aware of, 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 of what the capabilities are and you know clients are pretty great and the impact they've made on diversity and that kind of thing i mean it, it's not where it needs to be in the profession yet clearly um but things like putting diversity principles within the engagement terms and saying you know if you want to be on our panel you have to do this stuff i mean we're seeing increasingly those kinds of uh requests when it comes to technology so you need to demonstrate to us how you're innovating in our in, in your service delivery to us and to give to give a lot of these law firms credits that a lot of them are doing sort of outsourced legal functions where they have a you know uh, slightly cheaper um labor um and processes where they do sort of big due diligence exercises and things so i think that the direction of travel you know tech tech will be integrated um in those kinds of ways it's just you know everybody's figuring out how to innovate right now in particular um as much as anything yeah we got anything else to add there amy or well, I think, I mean, Giles, like I said, is definitely more qualified having yeah. come from legal practice before. But I think something I've seen kind of like across the industry is that, as he mentioned, COVID has really kind of driven the need for innovation. And I think, you know, given the the financial situation of a lot of law firms' clients as well, they want they want things done cheaper. And they see, you know, other firms are like, look, I've implemented this new tech. And so they'll go to their lawyer and be like, why, why am I paying you this much money? to do something that can be done so much faster, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that's really gonna push the, the development of the legal tech industry in particular, 
Um, and I don't think we're going to be moving away from work from home. A lot of people are going to keep working from home after this is over. So we'll definitely keep seeing that growth as well. Yeah. And I think I'd just add as well there, and I think it's a, you, you've completely provoked this thought in my mind, Amy, but, you know, also there is a, there is a question about mental health as well. You know, it's, you know, especially in the legal profession. Um, and, you know, I've been really, you know, I don't want to say surprised, but like I, I, I've been really happy with um, the reaction I've had from a lot of partners when I, when I bring up that conversation and say, look, in the bottom line is, this is going to make life more pleasant for the people who work in your teams. Um, and that's, people really care about that, you know, as much as anything, you know, we're all human beings, but also um, you know, there's a, there's a financial cost to attrition. And, and, and right now it's very hard to hire, um, hire people, you know, with, with a rigorous interview process. I mean, clearly you can do stuff online, but it's not the same. Um, so I think, you know, it, that's, that's another really big point for firms on this as well. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you've said you said it said it perfectly. There's the fact that there are um, more people, and especially from a student and training contract like application view, I know people are looking at you know what firms score on a work from home uh, standard. So you know, are firms allowing um, people to work from home and giving them those cloud based solutions and uh, remote working things? And that is something that I hear like from other people as well. Is it's like geography doesn't matter anymore it doesn't really matter where as such as where, where you're from because you know possibly life after the pandemic is going to be a lot more working from home a lot of more remote working um and i think that is definitely a good thing as you said going back to mental health it's it's that getting that work life balance um right and being, being able to you know work from work from home when you need to but then go in the office when when you want to as well um but yeah i think that's really really interesting we got anything else to add there, Ben? Yeah, just a point that Giles made actually about um, tr definitely training like students and those applying for those sort of jobs. Um, I can sort of say just from recent experience, I've recently applied for some VAC schemes and got through to the interview stage of one of them. Now, normally that would take place where I would go into the office, I would meet with maybe two partners or or a graduate recruiter and sit down and have a have a have a lengthy just a, a lengthy discussion with them about issues and commercial awareness um, now that's changed I sat pretty much in this spot with a camera and answered a computer application that said why do you want to come to this firm and I think it's very different because you you can't have this this um, dialogue with someone where they'll ask you a question you you have an answer but they have a follow-up question to that answer and you, you and it sort of shows that personality you can't really show personality when um, you sort of talk to a screen um, so I think there are positives to um, working from home and the innovation that we can have but as shown there are some negatives where as you said mental health it takes away that that personal aspect um, obviously at the beginning we did have sort of these zoom socials i think with a lot of places not just university with with a lot of firms you um, the quizzes ben <laughs> yeah too many my general knowledge has gone through the roof um but i think uh, it, it does draw away from it's a very temporary solution where people will start to miss and it will affect the mental health that they will start to miss that in-person social aspect even as giles mentioned before even a meeting in person where you can turn to someone and sort of gauge whether or not they want to answer a question or it, that that aspect you can't have anymore mm -hmm. um and i think people are going to have to adapt before we go back because I, I feel like this is going to be the norm where people might say oh rather than me coming up from london to manchester to have this meeting should we just do it over zoom <laughs> I, I, people are going to have to learn to um micromanage where it's either going to be online or it's going to be in person and i think there are going to be difficulties in the sort of coming months if not years where legal tech and people are going to have to adapt with each other even more i think yeah and i i'd say as well like you know the role of tech for me is also in getting rid of some of these more repetitive and, and less enjoyable parts of people's job i think is that much more important as well because actually you know one of the things that gets you through a training contract and and they get tough at times they really do um i wouldn't want to undersell it but it's uh is your 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 cohort uh, you know, and, and your colleagues, yeah, you, you know, if you've got good supervisors, your supervisors as well, and 
sitting at sitting around a table, although you're all doing different stuff or using different tech, actually having that camaraderie to get you through. Um, but actually, if you're sat, you know, deleting the, you know, the 400 square bracket, um, you know, at, at, at two in the morning by yourself at home, having not got dressed all day, that's a very different feeling. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. I agree. And I think it's um it's, it's it's sort of the fact that you've got a blurred sort of between home and work life where, you know, actually I, I would prefer personally to have home life and then you've got work life in an office. But um, and you're right as you say, you're working all the time till two and you you're just in joggers and what you know comfy wear. Then there's no uh, there's no line or there's no barrier between home life and work life. It all blurs into kind of one. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I think uh, uh, just as a, to draw a parallel to that, actually, <clears throat> I know obviously um, it only really affects me in Dumble. I, th- I think uh, a rise in that has happened with students a lot, especially with those in accommodation. And I know it's a draw away from legal tech just for a second, but I th- I, it applies to both people working from home as well, where um, if you live in sort of, uh, you know, I think this is the problem with a lot of people. Is a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's fine. You're working from home. You have all these comforts. But not everyone has these comforts where you can go and sit in a back garden when it's nice weather or you can um, uh, you can do – a lot of people might only be refined to one room. Or I think that there are issues that need to be addressed. But hopefully with the coming months, we'll be out of it soon and it, things will return to normal, if you will. <laughs> so yeah. That aspect. yeah, and Ben, one of the things I saw, which is really interesting, and, um, you know, I'm really fortunate, I, I have a fine setup at home, but um, uh, so, uh, there's an organisation called the 93 Club or something like that, um, which is, a, you know, a, a society which has been established at a number of U- UK unis, and it's to do with, um, you know, basically raising awareness about people who ha- haven't gone to private school. Um, and some of the challenges that they face, and you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that people listening will have heard heard of it. But and I and I'm not going to do it justice. But one of the things that really stuck with me is I saw an image uh, of somebody's work from home setup mm-hmm. um, that they'd posted, you know, anonymously, and that the 93 Club had shared. Um, and they sort of done it. They've done a call for submissions for additional photos. But it was quite shocking, you know. It's like you know, two beds pushed together. You know, somebody else's bed um, and. You know that is that's not made up. It's someone's actual work from home setup. Yeah. So it just, you know, those arguments are very easy to make off the cuff around. Oh yeah, it's nice being home, isn't it? But for some people, it it, it ain't. Um, so it's yeah. And actually, I, I'm embarrassed to say that you know I, I didn't think it was would be that bad for people. Uh, but that yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, Put, puts it into perspective, doesn't it? And the fact that yeah, you're right. It is. Um it's different for everybody but there is people that are like just can't work from home and don't have those solutions be able to work from home definitely um just as a as a next topic um amy i saw on your linkedin obviously about your open tenancy um and that looked it looked really interesting could you just give us a little bit of a brief overview and description of what that entails and Absolutely. So that's my kind of other hat that i wear when i'm not <laughs> um working at vodka during the day So essentially open tenancy is an open source website. Um, Users go to our website, they click get advice, and then they're taken through an automated questionnaire. Um, And it's regarding tenancy rights in the UK. And we give them a document at the end that summarizes every question we asked them and every answer they gave, and then also a bit of guidance about next steps. So what we're, we're trying to do with it is take, because you know, right now you've got gov.uk, you've got a thousand different websites you have to go to to understand your tenancy rights. And it's frustrating, even like I have my law degree. I find it really hard to sit there and read articles to try and understand what my next steps should be. So we're trying to, you know, for people who don't have law degrees or for people that just don't understand what their rights are, it's so much easier to just go to one place, answer one questionnaire and understand their rights. Mm-hmm. And the open source aspect of it comes from, we accept decision trees. Um, from people in the community, from people who've studied law, or from people who understand tenancy rights. So the decision trees are basically breaking down a tenancy topic into a bunch of questions that you might ask the user to figure out specifically what their issue is. We then turn those into code um, and we use an open source tool called DocAssemble to do that. Um, And so DocAssemble is created by a lawyer it's, it's kind of similar to what we do at Avoca, but we're focused less on the document generation part and more on the actual questionnaire aspect of it. So it's much more of a tailored questionnaire. 
Um, and so, yeah, so that's open tenancy in a nutshell. And it's something that I've been very grateful to keep working on while I'm working here at Avoca. Everyone's super supportive of it. I know Giles has come to a bunch of talks I've done <laughs> and so have the other team. So it's definitely been, been great so far. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really, really good and such a useful tool, especially, I mean, in the current climate as well, where people are having more problems with um, tenancies and houses at home um, and to have it in one place to be able to go. And because I've, I've been on the website, I've seen it and, you know, you just click on click on the certain aspects of what you've got, you know, what what what's your problem? And it, it just tells you a brief, you know, what what, what your rights are, are there. And I think that is, is super useful and definitely I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be sure to spread the awareness of that because it, it does look really, really good. Yeah, it was something that, that started from, well, really, when COVID hit, all my friends are coming to me going, mm-hmm. how do I get on my tenancy? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I've not done land law and I'm not a qualified solicitor. But I was like, I'll Google it for you. And then I was like, this is actually really hard to understand. So mm-hmm. it was something I think that wasn't encouraged a lot or at all in my law degree was being innovative in in you know a personal aspect what can I do with the skills that I have to actually give back to the community yeah and it's been something that's really great I think that I've noticed in the legal tech world um, but especially in the computer science world is everyone coming together and it's been really encouraging to see people who are still studying law finding like a community aspect in it yeah. um, which I found really lacking in my law degree was actually feeling like you know, you're not competing against each other, but you can actually work together to to build on something or to build something that's useful for people. Oh, no, no, that's fantastic. I do think you've hit the nail on the head though, as well as the fact that in a law degree, you are taught like the black and white version of law. So this is, you know, this is the the law, this is the, the principle and, you know, this is how you apply it. But um, actually, you're right. Like, why can't people work together and come together and have both innovators and people who are confident or, or knowledgeable of the law um, to create these solutions. I think you, open tenancy is a perfect example of that. You've got your legal knowledge and your legal background and also uh, your innovative knowledge and you think, well, actually, this can be done better. This can be improved in this way. And I think that's it's a perfect example. Yeah, thank you. I, I really like it because I it, it feels to me like, um, you know, a really obvious and a really obvious uh you know, thing that you would Google and need and look for. Um, and, and I think one of the things which I, I don't know whether this inspired any, and I definitely have, don't have permission to make this comparison, but I, I view it as kind of the, you know, that part, there's that, I forget what it's called, but there's a parking ticket website where you can go, you can go, you can go on and provide the details of whatever you've done and then they'll try and, you know, they'll basically identify the loophole and, mm-hmm. and generate a letter for you. I basically see it as a version of that, but a bit more complicated um, but also, you know, for, for the good guys, not just people who park badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Is there a website where you can find loopholes for parking yeah, tickets? It's called um, Do Not Pay. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and it's really funny. When we first brought this idea to our um, sponsor, Catherine Bamford, she actually brought him up. And she's like, that's the vibes I'm getting from you guys. Is you know, the early days when he first had that idea and it was just you know pop the website up online and see where it goes so. mm-hmm. yeah and i think the other thing as well is um you know every every sort of uh, law student junior lawyer uh, but maybe even senior lawyers around the world are going to be thanking amy uh, for doing this because it saves us a lot of time because <laughs> uh, you know you have that moment where someone asks you like well i can't give you legal advice but let me find a good link on Google and then there's just isn't one. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, you you know, you try and look clever uh, and that you know something, um, but then ultimately probably, you know, you, you'll find an open tenancy now, whereas otherwise you might have just looked like a bit of a lemon and that you don't know the law. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a, another area of discussion is like through, through legal tech is how um, you can get some form of like access to justice or uh, answers to these sort of questions that, um, you know, people traditionally would be going to a, a, to seek legal advice from someone, um, paying a lot of money for it. Whereas, you know, those questions are sort of almost funneled out in a way that you can go to open tenancy and go to um, these websites and you get those answers to the questions immediately, um, which is, you know, kind of what, what we're all, all about now in society. We'd like to do things instantaneously and uh, get the information we, uh, we want back quickly. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really good, um, good way of definitely funneling out some of the questions that don't need to go into into law firms but can be can be dealt with via a quick google search 
Thank you, guys. Uh, so just a, just a, a next question. It's a bit more of a an informal one, but uh, what tech are you both using at the minute? So what, what what tech runs your daily life, if you like? I am a full Apple person. Everything <laughs> I own is is <laughs> got a MacBook, iPhone. So um, Amy, Amy, you're very much Team Ben. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have an ongoing uh, argument about this as to who. Which product, which company is um, the not, well, not the best, but more applicable to daily life? And I'm definitely Team Apple. Uh, my my view is very much Apple as well, except <laughs> except I'm very upset with Apple because basically everything after the iPhone five has been trash. Um, <laughs> and you know, like AirPods, I got bought some for Christmas. You know, obviously I I'm not wearing them right now, but I, like, it's the biggest con ever. It's like. <laughs> Let me get, here's, here's your headphones, but like, you don't get a cable um, and they run out every five minutes. And if you lose them, it's not 30 good to replace them. It's 200. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty mad about it. And the other thing as well, and this is my answer to the broader answer to the tech question is they just took all my music on iTunes. I don't know how that happened, but like all of it's gone. It's in the cloud now. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not allowed it anymore. Um and that, that relates to my tech question because so when I was a student and a bit after, I did quite a bit of DJing. Um, and so my favorite tech in my life is my um, Pioneer DDJSX. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, ben, Ben's giving me a knowing nod. Um, yeah, so I love that. But yeah, so Apple are in my bad books because they delete all my music and I need the MP3s to be able to use that. Um, so cheers, Apple. Um, <laughs> Shout out to them. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> I definitely agree with the uh, AirPods thing. I've had mine for over a year and I, I used them like two days ago. I looked at them 100%. Used them yesterday or tried to use them. Had them on for five minutes and they, everything had died. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. I just was a... Sorry, go on, Giles. No, no, I was just, I, I was just a, a, yeah, and, and trying to, you know, keep keep control over my rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a team, team Samsung... Uh, uh, viewer, I definitely, uh, I'm very much, uh, yeah, in the Samsung boat, but they are trying to copy Apple with a lot of things. Um, but my my Galaxy Buds, which is the Samsung version, they've they've not run out of battery yet, but haven't had them on yet, so that's uh, that's uh, that's a benefit there. <laughs> I'm sure you have some uh, some cons about Samsung though, don't you? About what they're doing at the moment. Well, Ben, yeah, you've you've led us quite nicely onto onto one. Did you say Dom? Did you say Ben or Ben? Ben, Ben, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've led us quite nicely onto the next uh, the next tech headline or, or story, and it's um, it's that we've we've seen recently and a lot on on Twitter and on various places that Samsung in their flagship smartphones, so they've just released the S twenty one lineup, um, they've started deploying um, adverts in in flagship smartphones. So um, these are like seven hundred ninety nine pound plus phones. And in applications where you'd, you you know you normally use and not expect to see any adverts um, on the phone, and even in the notification uh, tray, you start seeing adverts for various things, which I I don't think is is right at all. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's definitely uh, that's, that's annoyed me recently. What does everyone else think of that that story? I think it's ridiculous, to be completely honest. I can't imagine spending that much money to be you know targeted with ads. Yeah. Um, and I watched the briefest bit. I know my boyfriend watched The Social Dilemma and immediately deleted all of his social media. Mm -hmm. But it's it's that kind of vibes, really. The fact that you're being, you know, targeted with ads at every corner. And it's something that you spend so much time on. Like I, even though I'm working my laptop, spend so much time on my phone still, right? So the fact that, you know, you have the ads that are that are potentially persuading you, it just, it doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's like it's everywhere you go. So I mean, luckily I've not got not not got them in mind. But uh, you know, you swipe down to the notification panel. It's like, oh, we've re released this brand new phone or this brand new uh, you know thing. Go and buy it on our website. And it's like, you know, what? Why is that happening? It 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 needs to stop. And it really does need to stop right now because uh, yeah, it's not right at all. Yeah, it seems to me a bit like they're trying to go down the sort of printer model. You know, where you buy your printer for basically you know two quid. And then the ink cartridges, you know, cost you a tenner a piece. Yeah. Um, it feels like that's the sort of model they're going down, but then they haven't slashed the prices uh, to to sort of launch that kind of model. It's all a bit strange. Mm. Um, I, it, when 
whenever whenever that this sort of issue comes up about ads wherever you look it 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 always brings me back to i think it was um a black mirror episode where he wakes up in sort of a room and all of his windows just have adverts everywhere <laughs> to pay extra to get rid of the adverts and I, I, I do I do worry that that's the the avenue we're going down where soon phones you'll open a phone and you'll have to get rid of 10 adverts just to be able to get to the home page <laughs> it's a worry of mine but I think it's it's not right at all I think they need to review that definitely with them having the the ads show up in your notifications center definitely yeah for sure definitely and it is it's yeah drawing parallel I, I know the uh, black mirror episode you're referring to but it is uh, you know it's very very futuristic in its way but you know that could that could possibly be the the future if uh if companies like samsung don't stop doing what they're doing now um you know you, be, you sorry go on amy i was just gonna say it'll be interesting though to hear i mean the consumer feedback because if the customers aren't happy and no one's going to be buying the phone, mm-hmm. then obviously that's that's where the change really comes about. Um, not to bring it back to Avoca, but that's what we see at Avoca as well, right? Like the customers want a certain thing. So you, you've got to listen to them because they're the ones paying the money, right? So yeah. that's how most of our development comes about. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually stick with it and leave the ads in there or um, what actually happens in the end. Yeah. And I also, I, I'm thinking, you know, from a nerdy lawyer perspective, you know, how, how are they dealing with the GDPR? Uh, and I know it sounds, you know, potentially a little bit of a, a boring point to make, but in all seriousness, you know, how are they going to stop, you know, if, if a child has the phone, how are they going to stop certain ab- advertising showing up? And I'm, I'm pretty sure you can't target ads to children in the same way that you can with adults. And also, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you do just say, I don't want, I want you to delete all my data, Samsung, how are they going to make those adverts profitable? because you have a right to use the phone without sharing your data with Samsung. So, you know, it, it turns into effectively a digital billboard, uh, which you can't, which they can't, you know, customize with good data on you. Um, at least if, if they're following the rules. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting point. Absolutely. I think, you know, it, it absolutely needs to be reviewed and, and definitely in terms of GDPR, it's like how, how they're getting away with, with, with it. And, you know, as I say, yeah, showing it to children because I mean, children or even elderly people that aren't aware of, uh, you know, these adverts at the top could could click on it quite easily, and then you know you've got got major problems down the line. So um, yeah, I just, I yeah, I do think it's disgraceful and certainly does need to be changed um, pretty quickly. Well, I suppose the, the I guess the devil's advocate is basically every, every any any anything. I, as soon as I've actually turned on the phone, I guess I'm on ads anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when someone else is choosing to do it, 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 it is that much more creepy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's just the way it's forcing it, forcing it down you rather than, yeah, having your choice or your, uh, yeah. I, I suppose <laughs> as well. You, <laughs> I suppose as well you could look at, you could then argue again on Samsung's behalf saying, well, um, You've bought the phone, yes, but uh, if you look at all these apps now, like Twitter now have like promote have promoted tweets come up on your feed. Instagram now have promoted posts and adverts between the stories. Um, you know, Facebook are the same. So I think you could say, well, you're willing to sign up, you're willing to pay for the phone. Um, now, sort of almost get over it. You're now going to see ads because yeah. I think as much as people will argue, oh well. Um, uh, I don't want to see ads on my phone. It, it's the age-old question, uh, the age-old statement of uh, everyone argues, "Oh, why did they bring a new iPhone out every year and then buys the new iPhone?" Pe- consumers are unfortunately like that. I think when it comes to tech, they they they, they sort of grudge along, go, oh, "Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that?" But then two months down the line, are oh, I will pay for it because actually everyone's got it. It makes my life easier. And I, and pe- I, th- I feel like people unfortunately will put up the sort of the everyday consumer will pull up with having ads come up the every you know the every so often just all you have to do is swipe off an ad it's wrong but unfortunately i think everyday consumers um not like sort of people who are really really into sort of tech and wanting to see this this sort of disappear will just say oh i'll pay the, the 800 800 pounds i was going to get the phone anyway and put up with the ads mm. unfortunately what are you going to do john you've got a decision to make here do you know <laughs> Well, no, I, I don't think I can. I'm very much a believer of um, of Samsung, a more a more innovative in a way. So I I now have well, I just got the uh, 
Samsung Galaxy Fold recently. So that's that's what I'm running and uh, just a way of demonstration. It just uh, is quite nice. Uh, it's quite nice. It's nice and it's good, but it's 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 not something I'd recommend to like the average consumer at the minute. It's because it's it's not not as durable and it's um. But I haven't seen the adverts on mine. But I mean, maybe if they do, if they do show up, I might might be there. Yeah, there suddenly you don't know. <laughs> it might show up in your notification trainers. Well, uh, yeah, let's hope not. No, I'll certainly be switching. Yeah, it'd be blasphemous for you to move from Samsung to Apple now, wouldn't it? Well, I think so. Yeah, so far down the line of Samsung, I think that's it. Now, what I'm wondering, Dom, is you know which which ad you're going to run with this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to say, have to say. No, actually, I don't have any. I don't have any ads on uh, ads on my podcast at the minute. So, luckily, that's uh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to scrub scrub this part of the episode for for when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, another another news story which I thought was quite interesting to discuss was the fact that um, in the last week, uh, Google has threatened to pull out of uh, Australia or its use as a search engine in Australia uh, due to new laws which have uh, which have come in. Um, Amy and Giles, have you what what do you think of that? Have you seen the the news story? In there? I'm not that familiar with it to be honest, but I find what's really interesting here and something that I was interested in when I did IT law at uni was how much you rely on private companies for, mm-hmm. for you know, day-to-day life. Um, and you forget that something that's become such a staple in your life, they, they're a company. Of course, they can pull out of a country if they wanted to, right? Yeah. Um, and that's something like when you mentioned how we have ads on Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. Um, you know, it's a free service you sign up for, but still, they're a private company who need to make money at the end of the day. So yeah. it's really interesting to hear. I think the uh, oh, sorry, uh, go on, Jazz. I think I was going to say the reasoning behind pulling out of um, Australia was because um, of new media laws which come in. Could that mean you've got to you've got to purchase like rights to consume certain media? So Google wasn't happy with with this happening and has just threatened if they, if these laws do come in that they would have to pull out of um, pull out of um, being a being a search engine in Australia. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess for me the. Um... The thing is, you know, from just following what from what Amy said is actually, yeah, it's it, the the effects could be pretty severe. Um, because I'm, I'm uh, the whole Google suite went down. I don't what was it, Amy? Now, like two, three weeks I ago. I think it was our first day back to work potentially. But yeah. Yeah, I think it was like the fourth of Jan or something. The whole yeah. Google suite went down. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, I remember it happening. Could, I mean, could you do anything? I mean, the whole the whole company ground to a halt. Um, and I was sat there like, how do I? call anyone <laughs> what do we do um yeah same thing happened with slack as well yeah. at a, diff- a different point so it just called call, and but with google i mean we do everything pretty much on google so i think it yeah the, the 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 dollar the dollar signs and how much that will cost people to migrate if they do pull out um it's going to be pretty bad for for small businesses because i mean I, I don't i don't know how much google for business costs but the suite but um it's certainly cheaper than a lot of the lot of alternatives anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that, that you're right. It's just, it would have definite uh, major consequences if it, if it was to, to go ahead. I think hopefully Biden threatening to pull out, I think their idea was that this law wouldn't go through and we passed. Um, but even so it is, it's, uh, it's quite scary because, you know, you, you don't say I'm going to search something now. It's I'm going to Google something. So whether <laughs> for them to threaten to actually, uh, you know, pull out completely of Australia, that's going to be a, yeah, quite challenging. I think calls into question as well, sort of. Um, I, I need to read up more on who the the law pertains to. Does it pertain to the company themselves or that uh, in that sort of aspect? But in my eyes, surely, you know, Google is an information site. It gives you information. Is it not limiting? Is that them, Australia, implementing that, not limiting the right to information for those, for, for, for people, you know, Obviously, Google can, could probably pay if it is for them. You know, it's Google. It's a very big company. Alphabet can definitely pay for it, the, the parent company. But mm. it sort of calls into question, are Australia then, like say, limiting the right to information? Are, are smaller companies um, like newspapers who are unable to, 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 to purchase these rights, 
still then have information to give to consumers uh, in Australia, is that then limiting them uh, and then does that impede on their personal rights? I think that's a, a very good question. I don't think people are then bringing up for this issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's interesting as well, because even in, um, I mean, there are jurisdictions out there where Google doesn't exist. Um, but it definitely, it definitely impacts negatively on, on, on society, at least by liberal Western norms, I guess. Um, there's no, I can't think of a single example where it, it doesn't, but, um, and where people still don't try to access it for various reasons and to find news and things. But um, maybe I'm taking a very sort of Western-centric perspective there. Um, maybe, may, yeah, maybe it's not such a good thing to have all the information in the world at your fingertips at, at any one moment in time. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, yeah, I, yeah we'll have to see where it goes. I, just, I was just reading that Facebook apparently are joining the... Uh, threatening to pull out as well um so like show no news uh news in the news feed when you actually go on it, it again because of the same um proposed law but um people yeah. might be quite pleased about that one it's a bit like yeah 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 don't go whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like you know like bebo or, or myspace joins the uh the the you know boycott as well <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. tiktok people might care but well, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those, uh, are they, I don't even know how it classes the generation because I think we're generation Z, me and Dom. But I don't even know what comes after us. So generation A, I think they'd care, wouldn't they, about TikTok leaving? Yeah, yeah, they definitely yeah. cared when it was about to leave the US, didn't they? Put it that way. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it's like in Australia, I don't know whether TikTok's a big thing over there or well, they've got they've got they're able to film content, so that's something. <laughs> so amy and giles what just uh, just before we we go because i know you put a bit might be a bit push for time but uh are there any tech news stories or headlines which have caught your eye this week or anything that yeah the biggest thing for me was seeing that the uk is now introducing lanes on our roadway for um, driverless cars and oh. i didn't realize i mentioned this to giles earlier i didn't realize we were at that point in the development that you know they're going to be out on the road and what I'm really interested in as well, and I'm sure a lot of people with a law background are, is who's liable? <laughs> like, what at what point do we classify these people, uh, the people, the cars, as having legal personality in the same way that we do for um, companies, right? So yeah. that's something that's really interesting to me, especially because I have a friend who did um, her master's thesis was on hacking the brakes of a car, like just a normal car, because. That's a little computer you have in your, your brake system, right? And it's really easy to hack. So you can imagine um, how easy it is to hack these cars as well. So I think, it, I think it's interesting. It's one of those features now, and that's something that we see with legal tech um, tools that, you know, a few years ago you can't imagine have been uh, being, you know, taken up by firms now are. Um, so it's really interesting to see something that I naively did not realize. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, that is really interesting. I, I did not know that we were at a point where, you know, driverless cars were. I know Tesla in their cars, and me and Ben have, have talked quite a, quite a lot about Tesla on, on recent podcast episodes, but um, they've got a driverless like functionality. It's not fully autonomous, but it, um, it does allow you to just to not do anything, but you've got to have your hands on the steering wheel so that if you were to need to do anything, then you could. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that we were at a point for... For, for driverless cars to be to be actually piloted and tested um but you're absolutely right is um because i was doing a lot of reading for my station the other day that was um you know what are the the laws behind robots and who is you know who's who's going to be be liable there because as far as i'm aware there isn't anything that does you know that says who who, who takes the blame or who takes the for for something that 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 does happen with them yeah i don't think we've hit hit that point yet um in terms of are they autonomous enough mm -hmm. and how do we separate them from the people who wrote the code but i think it's interesting in terms of you know the future of legal tech as well when we're looking at artificial intelligence how when we're implementing that in firms how secure does it need to be are we testing this enough can firms really be confident in the ai that they're implementing so it's something that's kind of wrapped up all together and i think it's when we're looking at artificial intelligence and the effects that it's going to be having on us now 
obviously imminently because they're now preparing to put the the road or the lanes on the road right that's something that will be really interesting to see the direction that it goes yeah definitely I, especially just sort of coming back to the um, point about Tesla, they they have a summon feature now on a lot of their cars where yeah. if you're in a car park and it's their sort of stance on it is if you're in a car park and you don't want to walk to your car because it's raining, you can summon your car to you. But my, my I mean, I've seen videos of where they've used it and it just completely cuts corners into the wrong lane or um, obviously the, the, these videos are in like uh, empty car parks. But if if normal consumers use that and they hit a child or, you know, God, God forbid they hit someone, anyone, and who's liable? Is it the person who summoned the car? Is it Tesla for the fact that it was faulty and they cut a corner? I think AI really has a lot of questions, and I think it almost seems preemptive to 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 be talking about um, implementing lanes for driverless cars when, we don't, when, when it seems to me like the functions don't even work to a very, very, very good standard, mm. um, which is sort of, sort of questionable at this point. Scary in a way. I can't imagine getting in a driverless car yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got to be at a point where it's, you know, we are definitely for sh- like sure that these cars are are safe yeah. and they've been well and truly tested, which, you know, as I say, as Ben said before, for me, that's, that's years and years off. Yeah. I think the interesting point about that though, Dom, is, and I, I am going to take 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 issue with with that kind of line that you're taking. I, I would actually say that, you know, how reliable is the average human? Well, that's true. Yeah. You know, true. And and I've heard that you know basically where we are now. I can't remember. And this is finger in the air stuff. So if you're listening, obviously Google it. But we're some we're somewhere between a thousand and two to two thousand times is safe. Um, in terms of driverless cars, it's something wild like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, how many accidents do we have by humans every year versus true, yeah. how many, um, you know, how many accidents we've had with driverless? Cause obviously, there's tons less, but you know, I, yeah, I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had. I mean, no, everybody's clear that they need to be safer than people, but how much, how much safer do they need to be, really? Um, until we, we think, okay, well, it's probably better than a person. Because I also think, you know, in that context where you've got a person, you know, probably nodding off at the wheel, mm-hmm. are they really adding safety there? Um, you know, if in a driverless car, if they were to sort of grab the wheel, I would argue that probably probably they're adding danger. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I, I agree, actually. I think you're, you're right, you, you know, saying that uh, if we go back to, I mean, it was a horrible incident, but the um, Alton Towers crash on the Smilo, obviously it's a different context, but still in the way it works, it's the same. Um, but that was put down to human error and the reason that that, that faulted, um, not the fact it was it was a faulty um, roller coaster, it was, it was the human error. I think you're right saying that actually the, the driver's car, driverless cars have the potential to be, you know, a, loads better than loads uh, more more safe or safe a lot safer than um th- than your average driver um because we do have that element of of human error i think as well when you talk uh, on your um on your law degree obviously anyone listening who hasn't studied law degree won't know this but especially when it comes to um this idea of people driving a car and negligence and so like it's a very objective standard they take you as what a reasonable driver would do Whereas a driverless car, I think when you're implementing it, it should be objectively what would a driverless car do in the scenario. It, there are definitely comparisons that you can make. Obviously, it's, it's hard to make them without having had them implemented uh, as products on a wider scale. Um, but definitely, it's a scary thought to think that it, 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 we are so close when it seems like driverless cars were only sort of a theory maybe a decade ago. Um if not, maybe a bit longer, a bit shorter. Um, but yeah, definitely. That. It's a very interesting uh, article. I'm definitely going to go and have a look at that after this. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we blinked and we're in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much to both of you for, for joining and for, for joining the podcast. It's been really good to have you. I think we've had a really good discussion and unlike, you know, a debate on, on various topics as well. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much, both of you. Thank, Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been our pleasure, hasn't it? I mean, it's been yeah. great. Great, great conversation. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for coming.
Thank you so much for listening, guys. It's been a really great podcast to record. Thank you so much again to Amy and Giles for joining me and Ben on this podcast. It's been great fun, and I think the discussion has been really good. Of course, if you want to follow along and hear more podcasts like this, click that follow button wherever you listen, and you can be notified as soon as I drop a brand new episode. Of course, you can follow me on social media as well, at Dom Talks Tech. And thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one.